This is Ken Vellante with Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And uh, just a few announcements before we begin uh, with our guest, S.A. Lawrence Welsh, who's a First Nations uh, activist uh, based in Oregon. Uh, her Instagram can be found at uh, Lawrence Welch NW for Northwest. Um, if you need to find her there, she has a lot of great material on Instagram. I wanted to mention uh, Love Yoga, uh, which is a uh, yoga studio uh, practice um, that I support uh, in the town of Albany, Oregon. Uh, it's run and owned by Suzanne Davis. And uh, just wanted to pass along that um, it's a great resource uh, for yoga practice. Uh, there's an app, a Love Yoga app, um, but you can find uh, an online library of uh sessions as well as some an online feed at loveyogastudios.com loveyogastudios.com in addition to this episode uh, with S.A. Lawrence Welch uh, upcoming episode with Ben Westhoff uh, author of American Gangsters uh, Gangsters um, uh, West Coast Hip Hop uh, N.W.A. Compton's Most Wanted and a great thorough history of, um, of, of that story. And that uh, episode is actually going to be co-hosted, uh, first time, uh, with uh, Sam Vellante, uh, my nephew, uh, communications uh, major uh, down in Arizona. Also have an episode coming up with Nikki Lynette, hip-hop artist, uh, also uh, mental health uh, advocate and activist. Uh, great music. She um, is in the process of, of recording uh, a play uh, that she wrote uh, about her struggle with mental illness. Uh, that uh, we'll have the opportunity to talk about that project, and also um, her her past uh, creativity. A very prolific artist. And we'll also have the Portland Band uh, coming soon, uh, Death Parade, formerly known as Laura Palmer's Death Parade. And uh, look, really looking forward to that episode. Uh, the podcast is available on Audible now. Uh, Podbean is its source uh, host. Uh, you can find something rather than nothing at Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, and most everywhere uh, you can access your podcasts. I want to thank you for your support of the program, and if you do enjoy it, ask that you share it with your friends who are interested in philosophy, art, and culture, Um, review the program, and just uh, thank you for your support and anything you can do to, uh, if you enjoyed the content, to to share it with people you know. And uh, now, S.A. Lawrence Welch. You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And uh, we have a guest here, uh, S.A. Lawrence uh, Welch, who... I've encountered through her um, uh, advocacy work on behalf of First Nations and her uh, work in supporting uh, supporting the arts and uh, quite honestly making change and, and bringing awareness um, in, in the world. So it's been a really good to interact with uh, S.A. and I'm happy to introduce uh, 
her to you right now. Tanshay, essay. Tanshay, I'll introduce myself uh, traditionally here. So, Tanshay, essay, Dishini Kashun, Treaty 6, Dushin, Clackamas, Kalapuya, Chinook, Niwikin, Monfami, Shini Kashu, Laurence, Anderson, Pe Gardapi. Yeah, uh, so what I just said is, uh, hi, my name is S.A. Treaty 6 is my home, which is uh, located in present-day Alberta, Canada, and across uh, parts of the provinces. Um, I presently live on Clackamas and Kalapuya and Chinook land, which is um, known by its colonizer name as Portland, Oregon. And... uh, my family names are Lawrence uh, Anderson and Gardapi. Thank you so much. I um that was in Machif. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, and in 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 Albany, Oregon, where I am is uh, the the lands of the the Kalapuya tribe. Um, essay, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, about when you when you were younger, um, a lot of our conversation is going to be based on kind of like art activism um, and uh, along those lines. But could you could you get into a little bit whether any of those thoughts uh, or were in your head when you were younger about creating or um, you know uh, awareness around advocacy? But in general, what were you like when you were younger? Um, I was super cool. No, I'm kidding. Uh- <laughs> I had tons of friends. No, I didn't. Um, You know, uh, as a kid, I think I was a pretty uh, stereotypical little um, bush rat kid. I grew up um, in the mountains just outside of uh, Rocky Mountain House in Alberta, Canada. I was really um, fortunate to grow up uh, outside of um, an an urban setting and, and get to have the experiences outdoors and uh, learn things, you know, from my father um, about culture and uh, protocol and the things that he was able to teach me um, uh, from what he uh, a retained from his youth and, and knowledge he had. And uh, given his experiences of being a uh, child of the Canadian residential uh, school system, I um I was always asking questions and I was always interested in knowing why things were the way they were, especially growing up uh, a native um, and also being told to hide my identity uh, as a form of uh, self-preservation. I definitely was a very artistic child. I, um, I, I, it just came as second nature to me. Um, I was always making something I was always inspired to create things. Uh, I was an only child, and um, or at least thought I was an only child until I was 17 years old when I met my sister, who was um, a uh, actually a child of the 60s scoop era in Canada, where um, children were forcibly or take uh, removed or taken from uh, native parents and placed into uh, adoption facilities to be uh, assimilated and and uh, raised white. But um, yeah, so I had a lot of time. It was just my dad and I for a lot of years where I just um, needed to make outlets because he didn't know how to be a parent. And 
I needed to uh, be amused. Um, but when, as far as it comes to advocacy, you know, I, I always questioned um, why things were again the way they were. So uh, I can recall my first real um, interaction with uh, I, protesting that sort of thing was um, when I was uh, 15 years old. And I was in high school and I helped orchestrate a student walkout for a teacher who was being uh, let go of. And we definitely believed it was based on uh, color and uh, race issue because they were the only non-white teacher at the school. (laughs) So I've always uh, had a bit of tenacity in me to um, fight for right and justice, I guess, uh, equity. <laughs> yeah, and and, and and thank you for that. You know, I work as a union rep in K to twelve school system, and I tell you, um, you know, I've I've been in situations where I've uh, taken on administration and asked, why do I know all the your employees of color? Like, why do I know them all? I shouldn't know them all, and and and, and it was just in the sense, even in a large district, that they end up. Um, in situations or questions or, you know, curriculum choices are questioned or kids are quote unquote uncomfortable in the class. And uh, it's, it's such a, it's, it's such a, a deep problem, but uh, well, thank you for standing up for, for your teacher there. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things I was uh, interested in, um, you have a lot of uh, connections and do a lot of work with uh, various groups and, you know, as you know, um, on the podcast, I, I get into art as a vehicle or creating art and um, just its 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 role in culture and in, in awareness. Could you chat a bit about your uh, relationship um, in, in, in work with groups to uh, promote a First Nations or uh, indigenous art? Yeah, I um uh, you know, just kind of the more grassroots uh, initiative stuff, you know, I have, um, I have had a lot of, um, uh, like, uh, incremental uh, experiences with, um, people regaining access to, uh, culturally significant art and, uh, that being used as a, a processes of healing um, and uh, trauma that they've experienced. And I've also encountered um, situations where um, there's just a, a a level of ignorance when it comes to um, Indigenous art. And, and I think that, you know, there's really great ways of educating people. Um, you know, I, I recently uh, made some words on the Internet, go figure, about uh, <laughs> how we can't really um, we can't really hold people accountable for what they were never given, and that includes information. And so, I think that you know we we can offer people information in a kind and in a good way, um, and then based on their reaction to it. And of course, people are you know going to become defensive when they're given information that basically um, peels away and and. Uh, dis, like t- tears down their entire um, concept of why things are the way they are or or whatnot. But um, one instance I have is uh, my daughter. I, I I've made it a really big point, you know, um, at her uh, her school that she was in from uh, year one to year five, that 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I would go speak every year, you know, especially around the um, the the quote unquote native holidays, um, because I, even though I'm a guest on these lands, you know, I, I realize that people don't know how to access people, so I always try and open that door, but. I definitely would go in and speak about my culture because, again, too, you know, we ha- deal with this issue of um, a lot of people being ignorant or thinking that all Native nations are similar. And um, last year, actually, there was a auction at my daughter's school where uh, classes will create these beautiful little pieces of art, you know, all sizes, shapes, mediums, um, and auction them off to raise money for the school. And each class has a project. And I was reached out to um, by my daughter's uh, fourth grade teacher, the, the teacher she had the year prior, um, because one of the mothers who was helping lead the, the the art project wanted to do some Indigenous-based art with the children. And so she asked me about the protocol with that. And I said, well, what is she trying to do? She said she wants to do some coastal art. And I was like, well, she has she contacted anyone here, you know, the people of these lands. So we got on an email thread and uh, this woman was very much in love with Haida art. And I had a good chuckle because there's there may be Haida people here, but they're not from here. <laughs> so why would you want to, um, you know, create something that doesn't honor the people whose lands you occupy and very much occupy illegally (laughs) or unethically. And so I brought in uh, a peer of mine who is um, from the uh, Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, which is just outside of uh, Portland. And they are a group of nations that um, had to come together uh, due to genocide and uh, create a, uh, a a nation unto themselves. And so I brought in a peer who is a uh, teacher as well as a, a, an art teacher and uh, has uh, the, the schooling as such. And so she went through and basically taught the children a lot of really powerful um, words and tools and, and gave them an education on where they are. And it's, it's so empowering because it was the, the parents that were so um, standoffish to it, but the kids were so receptive. And I think that that's so important, important as a part of art that, you know, when you're building something, a medium, you're like, you know, children themselves are, are working, walking pieces of art because they're, they're moldable and you can create them. And they, they can create beauty themselves when they are given the tools that they need. Right. So um, there's things like that where, you know, it's a a one instant situation or, you know, whether it be uh, the org that I am so fortunate to sit on the board of, uh, which is the chapter house, um, which is currently based in LA, but spans throughout the uh, Navajo nation. And it's a way of using uh, art to build community and and create uh, cathartic, like loving situations to bring people together and um, ensure that the healing process is um, elevated through um, working together and 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 showcasing the beauty that is um, indigenous art. Thank you. I and it was, I I heard in there, and it was, it was it was really powerful as you described it. The 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 impact on the kids, right? And and I think, I think it's 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 worth uh, noting as you did that 
um, you know, whether it, I don't know, it's the, the language and the materials, but they, it sounded like they were being empowered and being able to have the, the tools and the language in order to ex- express themselves. Do you, do you think it's as, as simple as that, as I just said it? Um, I think that, you know, children being given things that don't stunt them, you know, and that I think that's with anything, you know, uh, art aside, you know, that's obviously a part of it. But when you give children the um, ability to grow and learn and don't stunt them by giving them information that uh, will cloud their judgment or ability to um, cope with information, you know, because not all information we get and receive is is something that's positive, right? So we need to learn how to cope with things. And, you know, watching my my peer who I love um, just endlessly, you know, teach these kids traditional works that, you know, are, are, we're able to teach to non-native children, you know, and, and give them these gifts. It, it is, it's a hundred percent empowering because they're going to go into situations asking things and, and knowing more, maybe their adult counterparts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one of, one of the, one of the, the, the big questions I ask, um, is, uh, what is art? And I was wondering if you could, uh, if you could, if you could speculate on that. <laughs> well, that's a loaded question, but, uh, I think that, you know, obviously speaking from my own perspective, I think art is, um, an expression of a moment that, in time that can either transcend or sit still in, in that, in that period. And, um, it, it, it's, it's visual storytelling. It's audible storytelling because art comes in so many forms, whether it be music, um, l- like even literature, um, mixed mediums, like there's so many mediums to create and that being tied to, um, specific native nations, you know, like there's, there's woodwork, there's silver work, there's uh, like, there, I, like there's painting, there's etching, there's uh, clay sculpting, like there's so many um, attributes. And, you know, for myself, some of the, the ways that I interact with art and the way that what is art to me is as a native person, it's something that ties me to my culture. So even though um, I am a I I consider myself a purist of mind, but not always in my actions. And so, you know, beadwork isn't necessarily something that was ours because it it came with trade, right? It came with the trade um, when uh, settlers and colonizers started coming to these lands. But, you know, quill work, things that we were creating for um, like painting, painting on robes, like uh, 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 buffalo uh, calf robes, etc., that we would... Um, create as an expression of art of, of who we were as peoples. And so to me, art is um, something that tells a story, um, whether it be something, again, that transcends this moment or stay still in a, in a moment of time to remind us what we are and, and where we came from, because it's one of those things like food that, um, again, another form of art is, is, is a food like that that can speak to everyone, no matter what um, language you actually speak verbally. I, I, I don't have a mic drop audio sound. <laughs> I, don't have a produ- I don't have an in-person uh, producer. No, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I, um, uh, 
one of the things I wanted to say, uh, you know, to the audience in, in, in having talked and, and, and read and read some, uh, you know, the material you produce and some of the organizations you work with, I have particularly enjoyed um, the challenge to my, my, my thought system and, uh, you know, um, uh, in terms and an analysis that you've used of, of colonialism and, and uh, you know, what structures exist in this country and what type of mindsets, what type of language you can use uh, that's permissible to use. Um, on that, does we just we were talking about what is art, but does art have a role or what is art's role in challenging and or dismantling uh, colonialism? Uh, well, I don't think that we can, um, decolonize things, uh, that were brought here. You know, we can only decolonize the things that were, uh, here and that were taken and, um, and kind of, um, vulgarized to fit a narrative for the people that, that came here and wanted to be comfortable. Right. Um, I think that, creating traditional art and uh, in, in partaking in traditional practices is how art can work to be a form of um, or be one of the, the, the stepping stones to decolonization uh, where people can look at something and just accept it because that's the way it, it, it's given its integrity, right? Like it's, it, you know, whether, whatever medium it may be. Um, to see it in its original form is to understand that that's the way things were. Yes, things change, but we can always still um, uh, understand that there's there's roots to everything that we're doing. Um, I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, but I think that as as art is something to uh, counteract colonialism, um, the best the best way to to explain that would be just to um, honor our ancestors and and continue doing the things that were taken from us uh, to to pass on, so we don't lose um, our identities. Yeah, I um I I I, I wonder. Um, I had mentioned to you before. Um, like, if you take an art museum, and I have a I have a question for you, kind of like a walkthrough. Um, since talking to you and thinking about art in uh, whether it's the depiction or let's just say simply the space or the presentation of um, First Nations uh, indigenous art. So if we go to the Portland Art Museum, you know, art museums are, you know, traditional uh, in, 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 in format in general. And uh, there was a, a Native Fashion Now uh, exhibit. And uh, within the exhibit, uh, as I was going through, I was interested. My mind was open. I was trying to understand what I was seeing, where it came from, who made it, what it means, who wears it, and uh, happened upon the uh, t- the T-shirt. I'm not sure if you've seen it. I think it's like a, a dark color, and then there's a greenish color, and it's, um, I don't know, uh, Caucasians uh, rather than, you know, the the Indians, the Cleveland Indians, a baseball shirt. And it said um, Caucasians, so it seemed to be like an, an a, like a subversive, um, a subversive act. And I've seen people wear that in order to provoke discussions around what's known as 
uh, Washington's football club um, now. Uh, Well, I'll tell you, I own that shirt. (laughs) Do you? Well, I love it. Some version of it. And, uh, you know, for me, I can't speak to my relations or my peers or any any kin um, across this these lands. But I'll say for me, when I wear it, I wear it as a statement of agitation and anger because it's so easy to uh, not feel things when they don't affect you. Right. Like, and that's the thing, you know, I, I find that, you know, people want to know things, people want to ask questions, but at the end of the day, they, they learn something, but they don't understand it. Right. So this is me uh, wearing the shirt, gifting uh, non-natives, especially white folk, the ability to um, be uncomfortable and get to experience that emotion, that range of, of feelings that come with it. So you're welcome, white people. Oh, and thank you. I mean, I thought it was, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I just thought it was, it was, it was fantastic. And like I said, I had gone through the experience because in looking at it and being like, okay, what is this right? Native fashion now. And, um, there was, I, I love the subversive elements that were in there. And I had seen a video of a guy, I think it was in New York city. It might've been an African American, uh, a gentleman. And he went around all day, you know, just went around all day putting, you know, his body, you know, on on the line and just look at it. Right. Look at the presentation that's here. That's what's going on. So um, I that uh, response that in the video. Right. You know, yes. you, you see that response and it's it's jarring because you've got a uh, a, a black relative um, standing and making a statement for another group of peoples who there is a kindred feeling of just misrepresentation. And, um, again, you know, like, uh, the term like romantification or fetishization of, of an entire group of peoples, you know, I know that I have peers in, in, uh, black communities that definitely have spoken the same things that I feel. And it it's amazing that it's so parallel, right? Um, to, to know that your entire identity is something that people, uh, there's a saying like they want the culture, but not the struggle. Right. There certain pieces of it uh, or yeah. outcroppings of it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, one of the one of the things I was wondering uh, if you could uh, you just kind of lend some some in, insight as far as like conversations about um, representation and culture. And I know and uh, in, in I'm talking about First Nations, indigenous uh, peoples, representation and culture. And we started that uh, some uh, w- when we were talking about the chapter house and, and, and art arriving in that space in general. Uh, I was wondering if if you have um, uh, ideas or way to to place in this country the 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 fetishization and sometimes infantilization is that is that a word that's a word Infantil, infantilizing of um, <laughs> of of native peoples of uh, you know uh, I've heard you comment in the past about how very few tribes, uh, the Plains tribes in, in particular, I think you had said before, 11 uh, Plains tribes that 
wore headdress, right? So we're talking about American tropes, American symbols of um, of Native peoples. What what is what can be done about recognizing that that display, and what can be done to help combat that display, which just perpetuates centuries old uh, views of native peoples. So this is one of my favorite things to talk about, honestly, is, and I'm going to do a comparison of these um, quote unquote countries that, you know, arbitrary borders, um, Canada and the United States. So growing up as a first nations person in Canada, um, first nations people are celebrated. They are seen aesthetically but they are hated like i have not experienced such systemic um racism and hatred as i have in the prairies of canada um even so much as my own family um my 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 european um family making comments about um how indians are drunk, stinky, whatever, and then looking at me and saying, but not like you, you made something of yourself. So that's how deeply ingrained it is in Canada. Um, And in the United States, living here, I really realized that uh, Native folks are treated like a thing of the past, again, romanticized and fetishized for, you know, their, their things, but not for who they actually are or or even recognizing the fact that they're very much present here like you know i i forget where i heard it but i i know there's like a story about a uh, a person that was in a in a secondhand store and a little girl picked up a doll and was like didn't said to their parent they're like do need like do indians really look like this and uh i guess somebody was standing right there and said no they look like this because they were a native person <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, so those things of like, you know, kind of um, and I don't even like the term Western culture anymore because it's it's I, I call a spade a spade. This incredibly racist, uh, misogynistic, like just patriarchal garbage that we we live in in the United States is um really at fault for everything that we are sitting in right now as just people living on land. I'm not even just speaking about Native people, and this goes with Canada too, is that it's absolutely 100% the failings of these people that are in positions of colonial power, because power is such a not a construct that I think is real. There's no such thing as power. There's a thing as such as like, there's authority, but there's no power. Power is something that was created to keep white men in a position to control. That's it. Right. So I know, I know so many people that are doing, um, to educate, um, in, in grassroots forms to let people know there's documentaries, there's like, there's speakers, there's people that are writing books, there's so much free information. But when your colonial structure is not telling truth, 
it that's where that's where the the damage really stems from and so um you know we could talk about um there's a a documentary that came out a long time ago now like over 10 years um it's called real engine which is r-e-e-l i-n-j-u-n and it was directed by um a fellow named neil diamond who's uh first nations um uh from the north and he he depicted you know this like just kind of showed hollywood's uh portrayal of of the noble savage and you know i blame that as well you know people want to choose things that fit the narrative that fits their, them and makes them comfortable and they don't take anything from a holistic approach you know like um i think that there's a lot of uh work that needs to be done to build back up and i i i, I feel so sad saying this and it almost makes me want to cry like there's so much, so much work that needs to be done to not only build up um, native people in our own eyes, but to build us back up in the eyes of the people who occupy our lands because um, because we can't undo what's been done, but um, we can build ourselves back up. And when we build ourselves back up, you know, maybe um, – will finally be seen as human beings to other folks. Well, yeah, and, and, and thank you, S.A. And I think that's the, the part for me is like when I've um, when, when I've, you know, done my own research as, you know, 40 year old white man uh, um, and my my ethical credo has to do on the basis of what you just said, as far as treating treating people as, as humans and to be dealing with, uh, social problems where that foundational element, um, mm-hmm. we're still working on the foundational element of like, see me. Um, and I think that's, that's deep, deeply embedded in that problem of, uh, of the presentation. I saw that a uh, documentary, a uh, real, uh, engine, and I thought it was helpful for me. I saw it once and I thought it was helpful for me to understand or like, collate the images the powerful images of hollywood in taking you know horrific racist uh pieces of shit like john wayne Mm -hmm. and you know just just white male frontier hatred like in film and in fact that entitlement that's been created as americana right because like you know, we're the only nation that really like and by nation, I I roll my eyes when I talk sometimes, but like, (laughs) which no one can see right now. But um, the United States celebrates Columbus Day. No one else celebrates that. Like, like the idea of discovery, right? Because if you take away the idea of discovery, it just proves that there's like these, there's no title or ownership to these lands that everything was done so unethically and, and terribly like it's um, it's, it's kind of gross for lack of a better term, you know, that uh, the, this country is coasting by on uh, an idea like, and by an idea, I mean like something that is, is is a fantasy world like this like 
the folklore of America is a hundred percent fantasy. Like I was back home in my, well, I could say back in my homelands in uh, what's known as Montana uh, earlier this year. And I, um, I, I was reading this plaque along the way and it was talking about this uh, like uh, dis- explorer. And I think his name was, Jedediah Smith or something like that and how Springfield (laughs) oh my god absolute cartoony yeah Um, but um, it said that and this is the thing that got to me because as, as a peer of mine says you know you can't discover lands that are already inhabited right um <laughs> this plaque legitimately said that this white man rediscovered a, <laughs> and I was like, like I actually have it on my Instagram page, like my a reaction photo where it's like it zooms in on the re- word rediscovered in my reaction face, like as you go across the slides. Cause I was just like, <laughs> I felt like I actually like I don't subscribe to like the idea of IQ or intellect necessarily where it's like you have to you know, do all these things but i felt like i was getting dumber <laughs> like, well i can it can i think uh i i i think that can happen i think people a yeah. lot of times with conversations they think that they can be neutral coming into contact with information is at least neutral or you can be improved by it but i think you you might have experienced uh, i've experienced an extraction of intelligence through your <laughs> through encounter through that type of encounter um rediscovery um the power of the power of verbs um do you do do you know the name (laughs) of uh go ahead no rainbow yeah (laughs) one of the um was uh, this is just a quick aside um and it's based based on you know a little bit on the uh you know the you say uh american you know history um do you know George Washington's, uh, I think it was his Iroquois name uh, that he proudly wore and was constantly referred to his entire life, referred to himself amongst native peoples. And he was referred to as, do you know what, do you know what his, his name was? I hope it was walking Eagle, but what was it? <laughs> Destroyer of villages. <sighs> That's hilarious. I'd go with uh, walking Eagle cause he was so full of shit, but, yeah. um, I think that uh, the, the the one thing I want to bring up is like, and I know like this is a big thing for me is what people want to be called or want to be referred to because I'm so also tired. Like I know that we're st- on the footsteps of, you know, Native American heritage month here in the U S and I don't like being called a native American. I don't even really want to be called indigenous first nations. I'm like kind of okay with, but I want to be called a Cree and Métis or Machif person because that's what I am. Right. I don't want to be lumped into some category because each nation has its own um, languages, you know, practices, et cetera, and so forth. And the thing that always gets me with the Iroquois is that actually that was that's the French name, right? Um, their, their name is Haudenosaunee. But, you know, that's, you know, if somebody want, from that nation wants to be called Iroquois, great. But like, also, I think we should be honoring the their actual names. <laughs> Yeah, we have that same and thing uh, if, with the Nez, Nez Pierce, right? I mean, uh, yeah. yeah um, uh, well, and I think I think, and I appreciate you saying that because uh, 
I've encountered, you know, in 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 in, in even kind of framing questions and thinking about these issues, uh, the question of language, you know, so, I mean, I think the uh, philosophy in, in art, right? So the podcast about philosophy and art, but it's about, um, a language and language, uh, capturing, you know, reality or an attempt to capture reality. And I I've known, or I, <laughs> I hate to say recently discovered, or realized how language you can say certain things in languages and other things you, you you can't say so there's a natural feels to me sometimes there's just a natural limitation on on the language or me referring to them as as, as Iroquois I would not know you know what I mean like it's just trying mm-hmm. to make the right reference point and like um you know honor the name uh yeah. fundamentally uh well, and that's the other that. thing, too, that's funny is like a lot of the names that were given to um, tribes or, or, or different uh, indigenous folks here, you know, like I think about the the Chippewa. I'm like, that's not really a thing. It's actually Ojibwe. It's and I, I've heard in passing that it was because uh, the settlers couldn't say Ojibwe. So they decided to call them Chippewa. <laughs> like, well, even, the, of course, like you're, you know. The first name and a lot of a lot of folks have to, you know, the kind of uh, typical example is, oh, that's too difficult for me to pronounce. Can I call yeah. you Manny? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, well, that's uh, actually, you know, what's really funny. And I'm going to share this with you right now, Ken, is I um, so I, I do run um, uh, I do direct a program and uh, I actually am hosting uh, interviews of folks as well. And it was funny because today I had to reach out to um, the guest and get the proper phonetic spelling of that, like, or the phonetic spelling of their name, because I didn't want to mispronounce it. And it was their English name. <laughs> oh. I, like, I felt so silly. I was like, I don't know how to say your name. <laughs> and usually it's the other way around, right? Where it's like, you know, the, right. the ethnic name, right? <laughs> right. I, um, I, I, I wanted to, um, I, I guess part of this is um, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the question, but uh, part of my um, journey uh, on on this podcast and I try to cover a, a lot of topics, but um, I went down a, a path of, of, of learning, of, of deep learning that I'm still on. Uh, and it has to do with the intersection or the connection um amongst uh, the uh, genocide and missing and murdered uh, indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit um, in uh, Canada and the United States, in connection to the environmental uh, active activism of the pipeline protest, the, the deep, deep struggle um, with many peoples that are still in, connected to the labor uh, that constructs um, you know, disrupts, destroys the environment, but also the the, the physical man labor, the man camps mm-hmm. uh, around these areas in this incredible intersection of violence against the earth, horrific violence, uh, generational violence uh, against uh, women. Um, that is that is that is still that is still going on. Um, I know you've done some 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 work uh, in these areas, and it's a really um, a difficult area. The podcast, you know, I've done 
four episodes exploring this, both from my understanding and to try to bring awareness uh, around this issue. I want to ask you a, a kind of a tough question, but when I talked about the different uh, pieces that are going into uh, this genocide, this this environmental destruction, um, and 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 the the man camps, how how do you get at that problem? That that those threads, all those pieces uh, melded in there. What, what what do you what do we do about that? Um, <laughs> this is a difficult one to answer because I don't consider myself um, an expert or a uh, speaker on as issues. An activist, of, as an yeah. activist, as understood as an activist, because you do you 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 do things. You like what what's to be done? Well, you know, my initial response is. Um, I think, you know, as, as we want to be considered a progressive uh, culture of, of people, I think that, you know, it's time to progress past um, um, raping uh, the land for its um, what colonizers refer to as natural resources. Right. Um, and, and especially um, surrounding issue with... Um, MMIWG2S uh, or MMIP, which is, you know, uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples. Um, we're also, we're from the land. We are the land. And when the land suffers, we suffer. Um, and so, you know, I I think that, uh, I, I, I made a statement one time for uh, I, TMX uh, pipeline rally and um and this it was you know um that uh they brought with them uh disease um disease of the body disease of the mind uh disease of ownership and greed and i think that there is a um a huge um aspect of that uh there that um basically means that that we need to um, teach uh, people need to learn that um, people and land are not commodities and that ownership is just a facade to um, to to hold that um, colonial structure of power. And I, I, I'm so, um, in awe of my, uh, peers who continue to work on the front lines of, of these issues in MMIW that, uh, set up counter camps. You know, I've seen what's happened in, um, the, my homelands and in Alberta, uh, with the oil industry. And I've seen, uh, terrible things happen there to, um, uh, native peoples you know um there's even a story i was in duluth uh, uh minnesota um last year and uh a a peer uh told me a story about how they were raising money to um, basically scrape the lake um to 
bring the women that had been thrown off of boats um, home, the women that were are taken and abused um, because of industry and cast away like garbage. Um, and that really got to me because um, they treat the environment and they treat the people the same, like it's it's disposable or always going to be there. And uh, that's 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 the hard thing. And that's the thing we need to teach people is that we need to honor the land and we need to honor the people that are of the land. But yeah. because because they aren't from these lands, can um, they don't care because they don't feel anything, but we feel it. Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, there's no connection to. Yeah. Um, to, it's easy to abuse something that you have no connection to, but these are the same people that will spout off patriotism. And how can you be patriotic to something when you don't even take care of it? Yeah. Um, but thank you. And we're talking with S.A. Lawrence uh, Welch. And uh, S.A., I have a, some, we, we got some, some bigger conceptual questions that All right. uh, I'm assuming like the what is art mic drop, you probably knock out of the park. Uh, love talking to you. Um, what or who made you who you are? I... Um... I am who I am because of Kishi Manitou, who is the creator. I am who I am because of uh, Nepapa, who is my father. Um, I am who I am because I have um, cultivated uh, experiences and have been put in situations where I had no consent and I was forced to learn things um that have helped me um grow and and learn and um experience every range of emotion to um understand who i am um from a foundational level i guess uh to be the the best possible version of myself so i can potentially um and I don't want to say inspire, but maybe inspire people who have been in situations where they have felt like they don't have value to know that they do and that um, there's there's validity to, to, to life, you know. And so I think that the things that have made me is the, the range of um, uh, the path that I've been on. You know, um, I can reflect on the negative things, but I, I, I reflect on a lot of the positive things because I get to still be here. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why is there something rather than nothing? Um, I could make a joke here, but <laughs> jokes are good. Philosophy is well, just jokes. That's all it is. Well, is jokes. Like just a bunch of horny molecules, you know. <laughs> no, honestly, um, there's something because there has to be, um, because existence is, you know, like it. it 
I don't know how to articulate this um, without sounding like verbal diarrhea, but it's definitely there's something because there has to be because if there isn't, then we wouldn't. Right. So that's that's I don't know how to say that without sounding uh, like the cheese slipped off the cracker. I like that. I like that meme uh, of that guy that's like, you know, the one where he's like aliens and his hair is sticking straight up. That's me right uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, thank you so much. Um, uh, listeners, as, as you know, I've, I've, I've learned a lot from, uh, from essay and, um, you know, for you, I, I was, I would just wanted to let, let you know, or give you the opportunity to extend, um, to listeners, the, the, the work that you do, the, the art, the, the advocacy, the, the groups that you work with, I, I think it's important. I think it's important to whatever your comfort level is to connect um, people to these issues. Uh, to whatever level of your comfort, could you let listeners know how to connect with your work in, in you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that opportunity. I um I'm so proud um, that at the end of September on Orange Shirt Day, which is the 30th, uh, I was able to announce the launch of uh, my project, uh, the Kikichi Highway Win Project, which uh, translates to um, healing through words, um, basically. And it's a, uh, a project that surrounds uh, the community healing of um, those who have suffered the uh, trauma of residential and boarding schools, uh, the SCOOP, uh, foster care and forced assimilation tactics by colonial governments. Um, presently, right now, I'm focus- focusing on so-called Canada, the U.S., and so-called Australia. Um, but I hope to branch out more as the project grows. And, and basically, it's a way to learn history but learn what people are doing to heal again and, and heal their communities um, and stop the, uh, the, the, the trials of intergenerational trauma that uh, affect um, every single Native person that I know. Uh, I also, uh, and you can get a hold of me through that by visiting um, the org that I work with, which is Seeding Sovereignty. So it's uh, seedingsovereignty.org backslash TKP. Um, I also work with the Chapter House, um, which you can find at thechapterhouse.org, which is a art organization based out of LA and spans across the uh, Navajo Nation. I also am the... Um, co-creator of the Oki Language Project, which you can find at okilanguageproject.com. Uh, uh, it's a project to tell stories about uh, Indigenous language greetings and how our words are so much more than just words, but they can tell stories. Uh, what else do I do? I work with Red Hawk Native American Arts Council, which you can find at uh, uh redhawkcouncil.org um and it is a uh it's been around for about 27 years it's based out of new york city and it is um just a really great org that brings together arts and culture um in in in-person events and through online education and 
Unfortunately, this year, uh, we weren't able to do any in-person events uh, due to the ongoing COVID crisis, but uh, there's a lot of, uh, available from them online. Gosh, I don't know what else I do. I do a lot of things, but I do all the things that I do out of uh, a labor of love because I so um, truly believe in bringing people together um, through community work to heal. And um, I'm just so grateful that I've had the experiences I've had and the the ability to work with so many incredible um, Native folks to to learn from and to uh, just cultivate again the best possible version of myself so I can continue to help everyone. Well, and, 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 and thank you for your work um, and thank you for your time. Um, I've, uh, it's, it's, it's been important for me uh, to meet you and to, to learn from you. And another thing too is on the podcast uh, over time, I've, I, I tried to, you know, we talk about art and there's conceptual and, and we talk about a lot of issues, but um, there's also pieces where I try to build in uh, kind of like uh, performances, uh, whether it be musical and otherwise. And I would openly invite, um, you know, uh, you and, 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 and other um, uh, artists or presenters um, space on on the show for uh, some of the art. Um, if you find it appropriate and useful, I just wanted to make that uh, open invitation to you to present, uh, you know, uh, to have presentation of, you know, art performance, uh, on the show. I want to deeply, uh, again, thank you, uh, for your time and, um, and really just that my, my opportunity for me, as I've said on the podcast, I'd like to extend this out, uh, to folks, but, uh, a lot of the podcast tends to be, um, uh, looking uh looking into things and in, in learning uh for me and you've certainly uh helped with that process so deep thanks uh sa i i really appreciate you um appearing on the podcast yeah uh that's uh that means thank you and i'm grateful and uh in in marseille marseille i i really that's you know uh thank you i'm 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 glad to have shared uh virtual time and space with you today yeah thanks and i know we're both big uh comic book fans so uh we could talk about that in the future or we can delve into those uh delve into those at a at at an at another time um well, we could definitely yeah. bring up the uh the new release from marvel with the uh the indigenous uh superheroes so we'll we maybe we'll have a uh, a little chat about that sooner than later <laughs> On on that point, is that is that is that out? Uh, is it out yet? I don't know. I haven't. I don't know either. Well, we'll 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 have to check. I'll add it to the. And I'll show you my my uh, collection of uh, the Native American uh, action figures I have. (laughs) All right, I'm 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 really digging I'm really digging what's going on here. Uh, (laughs) Thank you again so much, uh, SA, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yeah, hi, hi, thank you. Hi, hi. You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing.